Welcome to World Footprints Radio, the show where we celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage. Featuring your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Now, World Footprints Radio. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us today on World Footprints Radio. We're your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, broadcasting to you from our studio in the metro Washington, D.C. area. First up on today's show, the co-host of the Discovery Channel's Mythbusters, Tori Bellucci, comes by to share his daring and dangerous adventures and his life-changing volunteer work in post-earthquake Haiti. Then we delve into the world of community-based ecotourism, biodiversity, and conservation with the Humane Society International's Toby Bloom, who stops by to talk about HSI's new Humane Travels program. And finally, can you imagine an adventure where the secret meets Eat, Pray, Love? Arthur Barber Singer joins us to talk about her new book, Living Without Reservations, and how we can live a transformative life through travel without life's baggage. As always, if you have a question or a comment, write to us at comments at worldfootprints.com. I'm going to have to talk to Tori about uh, scuba diving with sharks without any protection. And as a scuba diver, I love it, but uh, this guy really went through some incredible adventures and I can't wait to chat with him. And uh, certainly we love connecting with you and chatting with you during the week. And we invite you to join any of our social networks from Facebook to Twitter, YouTube, and Stitcher, our mobile app that allows you to listen to us on the go from any mobile device. So join us for any of those things and also sign up for our newsletter at worldfootprints.com. Tori Bellucci is the co-host of Discovery Channel's Mythbusters. As part of the Mythbusters team, he has jumped out of planes, wakeboarded behind a cruise ship, been chased by a crocodile, stared down by a bull, and swam with the sharks, all potentially life-changing adventures. But these experiences have not had the transformative effect on him as much as his volunteer work in post-earthquake Haiti. And he joins us to share his experiences. Tori, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. Now, you guys really pushed the envelope on Mythbusters with some of the experiments and tests that you do, like uh, combining Diet Coke and Mentos to test whether or not your (laughs) stomach will explode, or seeing whether plugging your finger into a gun barrel will cause it to backfire. Tell us about some of these things that you uh, take on on the show. And what's up with this? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this show is probably the dream job that I never knew could be possible. Um, I mean, the stuff that we do from day to day, you know, I, I'll constantly, you know, tell people, they're like, oh, what are you doing today? It's like, um, let's see, today I'm going to be riding a motorcycle at eight if I hit an insect in my throat, if that would be enough to kill me. Oh. And people are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and it, I, the, that's the beauty of our show is um, there's so many myths out there you know people are just curious about life in general and it's great because you you constantly you know it's like everybody is you know if they've heard of a myth it's like oh yeah i've always wondered that and i think that's how uh, that's why our show continues to grow in popularity now do you attribute that to the fact that that we are in kind of a unknown zone here where that curiosity is so high, you know, people think about what's going to happen to them as they uh, cross over to the afterlife. And, and I kind of get that sense with, with, with some of these things. What if it does go wrong? Is, is, is that all part of the attraction here? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I definitely believe that um, 
having so much access to information instantly um, you know, through the Internet that it really gets everybody, you know, kind of on the same page where it's like, you know, before if there, you know, if there was a story in this region or this region, you know, it would take, who knows, you know, who knows how long for that, those stories to reach, you know, globally. But nowadays it's like instantly everybody, you know, if they have access to the Internet, is kind of on the same page on what's going on. And I think that kind of fuels this kind of, uh, you know, everybody curious about, you know, different topics or different stories. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and definitely, I mean, it's like there's so, you know, it's like we, we don't have a chance to really test myths about, you know, spirituality or the afterlife or anything like that. I mean, there is one myth that uh, has been on the books. It's called 21 Grams. I don't know if you've heard of this. Mm. Uh, it's that people's soul weighs 21 grams, that you lose 21 grams at the moment of death, mm. which, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I'm sure nobody's, uh, nobody's signing up or, you know, standing in line to, to test this out. So. <laughs> Not it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, please tell me the studio has at least good life insurance for you guys, just in case, you know. I mean, yeah. honestly. <laughs> What's been the most bizarre myth you guys have experimented with? Um, we have... You know, the, my favorite myths are the ones where you expect one thing to happen and the exact opposite happens. You know, the result is completely what you didn't expect. Uh, like one of my, I mean, it's not that crazy, but when we were testing um, uh, a ch- uh, bull in the china shop, oh, you yeah. know, the, the saying, you know, you know, bull in a china shop, it's like somebody who's clumsy and they would just tear the place apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we went to a ranch where they raise bullfighting bulls, and we made this little china shop, put all these shelves up, filled them with china, and we let a bull into the pen. And it was only like a 40-foot by 40-foot pen. And this bull didn't touch a thing. It just weaved right through every single shelf, didn't knock over one you know, piece of china. And so we were like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. So we sent in two. And they just kind of followed each other. I mean, it was the most graceful thing I'd ever seen. And finally, <laughs> we had like five bulls in there, and they were just running around, not touching anything. And finally, one like a shelf, and but I mean, it was completely opposite of what we all expected. I actually saw that episode, and I thought these guys are you guys are too much. <laughs> and I remember, I remember, you know, looking collectively looking at the group and and. Uh, and, and you know your your expressions, and I you know, and I remember everybody being really shocked at not seeing a bull in a china shop knock over anything, and you know, until you kind of crowded them all in. But yeah. you know, speak talking about you know expecting the unexpected, and um, you actually um, you travel a lot for the show, and I know you uh, you've traveled to Haiti recently during a break from the show. Um, to to do some some work, and I get the sense that you know, did you well, did you expect what you expected, or did you see what you expected when you got there? No, not at all. Um, you know, a friend of mine from church, he's been going there for about three years. Uh, you know, pre earthquake, and nothing can really prepare you for 
the devastation. I mean, I had been in the earthquake in San Francisco in 89, and I was actually in Los Angeles during the 94 earthquake, and we had some damage. I mean, you know, freeway structures collapsed, the bridge, you know, collapsed, you know, part of the bridge collapsed on the Bay Bridge, but the amount of just devastation down there, it's it's shocking. I mean, you, you just, there's nothing that can pre- prepare you for it, and you see it, and you're, it's almost, it's so much, it's it's surreal. But the incredible thing is these, you know, the Haitians are going on, you know, business as usual. Like, you would think everybody would be, you know, depressed or, you know, um, you know, suffering, but they, they're rebuilding. They're, mm-hmm. they're going on with life as, as usual. And it, it's just, it's heartbreaking, but inspiring at the same time. And what did you, what did you do there? Did you uh, travel as part of a humanitarian mission or volunteer well, I, mission? Yeah, I've um, just kind of, you know, have uh, been supporting uh, Life Giving Force. It's an organization that is trying to um, just empower, you know, third world countries. And so what we were doing was just providing um, clean, uh, pure water purification systems just to give villages and orphanages uh, clean drinking water, you know, just the basics to begin with. And then, you know, hopefully we can get in there with, you know, solar energy and wind mm-hmm. power to, to kind of get them self-sustaining. Mm-hmm. Speaking of some of these volunteer efforts, how have... Uh, these volunteerism efforts, and and, 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 and and I know it's just not about tourism, but how have these changed how you look at travel and what uh, you seek to accomplish uh, uh, with uh, your life in terms of giving back to others? Well, it's, you know, it, it uh, it's hard because there's so much that needs to be done that it, you know, can be overwhelming. Um but what's exciting is we have been working with this one organization in Haiti. They're, it's a Haitian um, ministry um, called El Shaddai Ministries, and they are doing incredible things over there. Um, they're raising, they have you know, 17 orphanages, they have over 2,400 orphans, and they're not just housing these kids, they're educating them and raising up leaders um, and you know, we were talking to the the head pastor, and he was saying, you know, not only do they have orphans that they're educating, but they're also educating uh, the children in the surrounding villages. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, he's like, we're we're talking about six thousand children going through here every year. He's if we can continue to raise up leaders, we are going to see a change in our country, and it, you know, it's just very exciting. Uh, and, and the best part is, is since they're, they're they're Haitian, they know what they need. They know what their people you know need. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I mean, it sounds so inspiring. And I know, you know, when when you embark on a visit like like you did, and when you when you give back, and that's something we really try to promote on the show is you know encourage people to to give back and leave a positive footprint uh, in the the destination they're visiting. That changes the way you look at. At travel and in really your cha- your your view of the world, I think in in some instances is, did that happen to you? Did your view of the world and and your the way you travel these you know going forward did that change? 
Yeah, I mean, what the 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 thing that was most incredible is like we we take everything for granted here in the United States. You know, I mean, just from your running water in your house. You know, it's like we just completely take it for granted. And you go down there, and it's like they're living in tents. You know, and it's just it's it just you know you know everyone's like oh that's you know great that you went there and it's like but going to these orphanages and and spending time with these children that had more of an impact on me than I will ever have on them, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I'm, the, I'm just a traveler. I just came in and spent some time with them. But, you know, they touched me. You know, it's like they're, you know, just the, these beautiful faces and these beautiful children. It's like and just how happy and, you know, amazing they are. That's going to change me way more than I can ever you know, change their lives, but we're trying mm-hmm. to, you know, to make steps to kind of to better their lives. Are, are you, do you have plans, Tori, to go on uh, to new, do another um, missionary or volunteer trip in the future, and will you be going back to Haiti? or? You... Yeah, the, the plan is, what I want to do is try to go back over there, because I went there with, you know, my little camera and I was just documenting here and there, and there's so many stories to be told that I would like to go there with a, a proper documentary crew and mm-hmm. kind of capture more stories and you know what's going on over there. Sure, sure. And don't forget about your favorite radio show, too. You know, you may need radio coverage here. <laughs> World Footprints. Got, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Maybe we can do a, a you know, monthly check-in. Mm. <laughs> I'd love that. <laughs> Tori, in terms of some of your other travels, where else have uh, you gone and what favorite places have uh, you experienced uh, out there around the globe? Um, well, for the show, our, I think probably my f- most favorite place we went to was the Bahamas. Um, we went to test. Uh, we've done a couple of stories there. One was... Um, Wake, seeing if you could wakeboard behind a cruise ship, yeah. which which you can. Tori, <laughs> uh, Tori. <laughs> yeah, that was probably one of the, the craziest, most memorable moments on the show for me. <laughs> and then we also tested uh, swimming with sharks. We mm. did a whole bunch of myths about sharks, and we, we went diving, night diving with sharks in the Bahamas. And that was terrifying, but... I'm glad I did it. <laughs> did did you? Was that a chum dive or, or? Please tell me no. But I just have to ask because you guys, you guys are out there. Was that a chum dive or just a, a night dive? With you know, just general standard night dive, or did they throw chum in the water to attract the sharks to you? They actually did. Oh, they, you guys are crazy. Oh, they uh, yeah, they they chummed the entire area. It turned, there ended up being around 40 sharks at one moment, at one time. Um, and just being at the bottom of the ocean and having that many sharks, I mean, you seriously could not see, you know, six feet in front of you. Because, I mean, there was, you know, just your view is completely obscured by sharks. I, you know, my first open water dive, when I saw a shark, I won't tell you what accident I had. <laughs> Uh, in my wetsuit, um, but uh, I I couldn't have managed that at all. <laughs> yeah, it it was probably the most intense, but kind of surreal because 
you you feel like you're in an aquarium, but you're a part of it. I mean, it's just it was bizarre. Uh, Torian, uh, uh, listening to the story here, what you guys do on MythBuster seems like a cross between Bill Nye the Science Guy and Jackass, and I'm just curious. <laughs> oh, What's your uh, background? Whether 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 you were more of a uh, daredevil type kid growing up or into science, how did these two worlds kind of kind of come together for you even before this show, which is really like a, a dream job for the uh, reckless? <laughs> well, it definitely like. I, I realized I've been training for this job ever since I was a kid, and I didn't uh -huh. even realize I was doing that. Mm. Um, you know, it's like I was setting things on fire as a young kid. <laughs> I when I was when I was 19, I almost got arrested for you know I was making pipe bombs, and this was just because <laughs> I wanted to get into into special effects for the movie. Yeah, and so I was very curious and very um, you know I I would uh, you know try ridiculous things i mean friends would come over and we would get old mattresses and jump off the roof and land on the mm. mattresses i mean we were we were trying to be stuntmen and mm. effects you know effects guys uh but not really having any direction and it's just it's so cool to see how you know this career has kind of found me you know even mm. though i you know i've kind of been preparing for it all my life now i actually have an outlet so so I guess I was just, you know, the science, I was naturally curious, but was more of the kind of adrenaline junkie. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. So the, the daredevil is part of your DNA then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so w what's your next uh, myth-busting experiments? W what, what's uh, coming next? Right now, we're actually, yesterday we just had a story meeting. We're testing what is... Um, explosion proof so oh. you know you see in the movies where you know a bomb goes off and people jump behind you know jump into a uh, a dumpster or jump behind a wall mm -hmm. uh, so, so what we're doing is we are coming up with a series of um kind of you know shields or, or uh you know protection you know things things that could protect you from an explosion mm -hmm. so it's going to be it, it's going to be a fun fun story i mean we're going to be spending a week at the bomb range blowing stuff up. It's going to be awesome. Oh, my. Wow. Well, <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to communicate via email. Just send me a text that, you know, I'm safe. Um, uh, yeah. You know, but, uh, but and, and I know that uh, you guys invite people to submit myths on the Mythbusters uh, website at Discovery Channel on the Discovery Channel Mythbusters website. So, um, you take care, my dear, and uh, hope to have that, that good news from you. And, and, and thank you so much for joining us today on World Footprints and just uh, sharing your crazy adventures, but, but, uh, <laughs> but also your, you know, your humanitarian work. And it's, it's, uh, it was lovely and, and very important, and, and I hope uh, that it inspires uh, somebody listening today. Well, good. And thank you so much for having me on. And I, I, if I can just, you know pass on anything it's just go you know it's like to, to your listeners just try to care of the people around you and if there's any way you can help you know if you have a calling so follow that calling thank you yeah indeed yeah. uh tori balachi we will see you on the air my dear and uh hopefully in in person one day maybe in haiti 
Thank you. <laughs> Our pleasure. When we come back, Humane Society International takes center stage with the help of Toby Bloom as we delve into the world of ecotourism and conservation as World Footprints Radio continues. Hi, my name is Asutui Sara. I am from Samoa and I really love the World Footprints Radio and I love this family that talk to me like friends to me. With great privilege comes great responsibility. Carter Fleming, Community Center Volunteer. The giving spirit is as passionate in the boomers today as it was in our 20s, and we as a generation can still impact our country. Lead, inspire, change the world again. Join thousands and find which volunteer opportunity is best for you. Call 1-800-424-8867 today or visit www.getinvolved.gov. This message is brought to you by the Corporation for National and Community Service in this station. Tom Gilmore lives on a farm. There's a storm on the way, so he's boarding up the windows of his house. Haley Williams lives in an apartment. It's a beautiful day. She's making her usual monthly donation to the American Red Cross. Tom doesn't know a tornado will leave his family with no place to go. Haley doesn't know her gift will help give Tom's family shelter. When you support the Red Cross, you change a life. Starting with your own. Call 1-800-RED-CROSS or visit redcross.org to learn about life-changing opportunities in your area. Want to travel for less? Visit the worldfootprints.com travel portal to find exclusive, non-published sales on travel. Our dynamic travel deals page updates daily with the latest sales from our partners, and you can't find these deals anywhere else. We've seen sales for as little as $9 a night for hotel rooms and $49 airline tickets. So stop by worldfootprints.com to see where you can go for less. Also, make sure you visit the Travel Marketplace for sales on travel essentials and services like passport processing. making sure the air in your dream home is healthy for your family to breathe. Building a radon-resistant home is easy. Just ask your builder or go to epa.gov radon. A message from the US EPA. And now for the number one play of the week. You couldn't ask for a better finish. He moves left. He sees an opening. He's at the designated driver booth and it looks like he's pledging. He's going to make sure his friends and family buckle up and get home safely. With that play, the designated driver's one step closer to following his favorite team to the Super Bowl because responsibility has its rewards. To find out more, visit the designated driver booth at the stadium or www.rhir.org. A message from this station and Team Coalition. Hi, I'm Alex from Baltimore, Maryland, and Tanya and Ian brought me to Baltimore by listening to Wolf Footprints Radio. You're listening to World Footprints Radio, awarded as the best travel audio podcast by the North American Travel Journalists Association. Here's Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back. Toby Bloom is a director of wildlife ecotourism for the Humane Society International. She focuses on community-based ecotourism development, and she oversees existing capacity building programs in Latin America dealing with ecotourism, 
biodiversity conservation and management, and sustainable use of natural resources. Toby also works to identify and develop new projects and fundraising efforts in Latin America and worldwide, and she has recently spearheaded HSI's new Humane Travels program. Toby Bloom, welcome to World Footprints. Thank you. Good to be here. Now, the Humane Society is well known for its advocacy of America's animals, but it may surprise some people to learn that the Humane Society has a very strong international arm, which has recently been, or which has been recognized by the United Nations to negotiate for animals on the global stage. Tell us about this international arm of the Humane Society and how it came about. Okay, well, uh, HSI as an organization was established in 1991, and um, HSUS was already doing programs internationally, but we were established basically to carry out these international programs. Um, In 1998, Neil Trent was hired, and he expanded the direct care projects, and we also had Patricia Forkin, who was working on our international treaty and trade work. Um, these efforts were combined into like a single entity in 2005, and we've been functioning as HSI, although since 1991, really as an individual and independent organization since 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been involved in international disaster response. We started with the Asian tsunami, and since then we've had a lot of um, international emergency response programs. We've been to the Pakistan earthquake. We worked in the cyclone in Myanmar. And we have a team on the ground in Haiti as well. So we've kind of got our hands in a lot of pots and in a lot of different areas around the world. And, you know, um, during these, uh, uh, your responses to the international disasters, what does that uh, actually involve, particularly where the, the animals uh, in perhaps uh, war-torn countries or countries that have been hit by natural disasters? What does that involve? Well, um, Right now, you know, we are basically, when it starts out, we go down there and we basically do emergency response and we're doing rescue of animals that are down there. But in the case of, uh, let's say, Katrina, for instance, we had teams down there reuniting uh, pets with their family members because a lot of people, when there are natural disasters, you don't make a plan for your pets. And so that was part of what we were doing. But it really depends on where we are Um, whether we're doing emergency response or we're just rescuing animals from precarious situations or if we're doing uh, reuniting of pets and family members. And we also obviously work with wildlife as well. Toby, you began your career in ecotourism as an interpretive guide in the United States and Canadian park systems. Uh, Talk to us about how ecotourism is being applied as a tool to champion wildlife conservation. Well, you know, uh, I think that the issues are really different between, you know, when I was working as a tour guide in the U.S. and Canada, the issues that we work with as far as wildlife conservation are very different here than they are in developing countries. Um, The U.S. and Canada have really good environmental laws that are rather well enforced, and they protect wildlife. Um, In developing countries, even if there are laws on the books, a lot of times they don't tend to be enforced as vigorously and there are wildlife traffickers who make their living figuring out ways to illegally smuggle animals out of natural habitats and across national borders. So 
Um, working in ecotourism, the way that I look at it is I'm giving these would-be smugglers or the small-time people who are paid to collect animals for smugglers, I'm giving them a more sustainable way to make a living, and they end up making more money in the long run. So mm-hmm. if I can link um, increased economic income to protecting the environment, then I'm giving them a reason to, to you know, be stewards of the environment instead of exploiting it. Now, you kind of touched on this, but... What are some of the challenges uh, the Humane Society is facing in addressing conservation issues, particularly in terms of bridging that cross-cultural divide that exists between Western cultures and other cultures, particularly when we're talking about indigenous communities that may not be as open to some of the theories and and ideas behind uh, wildlife conservation as we know it in the West? Right. Well, you know, we talk about really the culture of compassion. This is a term that one of my colleagues phrased. And people really do when they sort of understand animals and, you know, get to understand them and love them. They really do. They are very favorable to our programs. So we really emphasize cultural sensitivity in all of our programs. And basically our biggest challenge is that we have to, we, we show people who live in poverty that humane treatment is really important in bettering their economic conditions, not just the lives of animals. Um, you know, with ecotourism, there's such a direct relation between conservation and the well-being of wildlife and increased income that, you know, I, in my job, I've been really fortunate in the places that I've worked that I've never had to go into a place, I've never gone into a place that didn't want me there. Usually the case is there are communities that are looking for ways to develop a sustainable income because they see that there just aren't as many turtles on the beach anymore or there just aren't as many monkeys in the trees and they want to have they want to have sustainability they don't want to lose that wildlife and they're looking for a way to protect them and so i'm basically there to provide technical expertise um, and you know even in the areas where we do outreach and education campaigns the majority of people react really positively to our programs and we return to the areas and we see the conditions much improved for both people and animals Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and I, and I think that's something that we've seen uh, throughout our, our conversations with, with many people in, involved in conservation issues is that, uh, you know, just shifting that paradigm and, and, and educating uh, local communities about the, um, the economic, positive economic impacts, uh, the wildlife, like turtles, sea turtles mm-hmm. in particular, or, or monkeys, you know, people travel to those communities to see those animals. And I think having, a, having that, uh, that message and, and that uh, understanding uh, communicated to the local communities has been very effective, as, as I'm sure it has in, uh, in your cases as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's not a panacea, but it's something that I believe in so strongly because I see it work time after time. You know, it's not that people in developing countries hate animals. It's, it, you know, if you're given the choice between putting a meal on the table or sealing a monkey to sell into the pet, you know, if you can't feed your family, that's the, that's the biggest thing that people have to worry about. And if you give people a way to take care of themselves that's not exploitative to the environment, it, mm-hmm. it, it works, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not that people are malicious. They're just trying to survive. Right. Now, is there, is there a geographic area in the world that HSI is uh, paying particular attention to that's maybe perhaps your current focus area? Well, I mean, we work predominantly in developing countries because, like we've said, you know, there's, there's less infrastructure and there's more of a need for these kinds of programs. Uh, my department specifically, we work a lot in Latin America. 
Uh, we have companion animal programs, wildlife rescue center trainings, and infrastructure development. We do sustainable cacao production, and of course, we have ecotourism development. But we really do have programs all over the world. I mean, we have a, a street dog program in Bhutan, and mm-hmm. obviously, we work on wildlife rehabilitation, and we have um, elephant immunocontraception in South Africa. Now, speaking of South Africa, HSI has a sanctuary there called the Sandwild Sanctuary. Talk to us about your organization's involvement there and okay. the work that you're doing in South Africa. Well, Sandwild Sanctuary is actually just a partner organization with HSI. They're not part of our organization. They are independent. Um, they were founded in 2000, and they care for rescued, injured, and orphan wildlife in South Africa. Um, the sanctuary is about 5,000 hectares, and they have a rescue and rehabilitation center, but then they also have open bushland that they're trying to rehabilitate to the natural, to the way it used to be, the, the natural habitat there. And they've introduced the animals that they've rehabilitated onto this sanctuary. Um, they have rhinos, hippos, warthogs, zebras. Basically, all African wildlife resides on this sanctuary. And HSI got involved. Uh, like this year, we, uh, we helped provide funding to help feed. Um, they have 16 lions there that were rescued from a canned lion hunting operation. Hmm. And so we helped raise funds through our constituents' donations uh, to feed those lions. And they also have a vervet monkey rescue project, and we've contributed to that as well. I'm just curious, how um, do the organizers and and people on the grounds there at San Wild Sanctuary help the animals kind of uh, cohabitate? Um, I mean... uh, because you have predators uh, along, like lions, along with um, more docile animals. Are they kind of kept separate, or are they allowed to roam wild? And, and how does the organization kind of maintain the balance there? You know, that's actually a very good question. I haven't been there yet. You know, we're starting these trips, and January is going to be the first time that I'm going there. We've had several of our scientists go over there, and we've had other folks that work with us over there. But I don't know the answer to that. I can't wait to see it, though. Well, we can't wait to hear <laughs> hear from you. <laughs> and, and speaking of which, I mean, that's a great segue into, into uh, talking about your new Humane Travels program. How did this program uh, emerge? Well, I've been working with HSI. I've been working at HSI for about four years. And um, before that, there really was no ecotourism program. They had some small economic alternative programs here and there, but we really started to develop ecotourism four years ago. And it's always been a part of my long-term plan to have, you know, HSI constituents visit the projects that we've been working on. We develop, you know, we use their donations and obviously the grants that we get to sort of help develop these ecotourism locations. It's only logical to start sending our constituents there to see what their donations are doing. So this program is really just an extension of that, where it's not just visiting the ecotourism projects. Um, it's also visiting the other programs that we have around the world. And so this came about because we've been looking for a long-term way to help Sandwild uh, get this income that they need to take care of all of those animals at the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And so this ended up being our first trip. You know, it's something that I've been wanting to do for a long time, and the stars just kind of aligned. Um, Sandwild has beautiful accommodations, and they want people to come over. And, you know, we have 
I think, 10 million constituents, you know, that, that want to see where their money is going. And so it was just a natural partnership. And eventually we're going to create other itineraries to other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. And, and just to be clear, this, uh, these types of trips are not necessarily volunteer travel opportunities, right? No, these are not volunteer travel opportunities. Um, these are, it is just a vacation where you are going to see what HSI does in our day-to-day work and what kinds of programs your donations fund, or if you're new to HSI, just what kind of programs that we work on. Um, as someone who works in ecotourism, I'm all for volunteer programs, but I really think in a lot of these places the best thing you can do is go there and spend your tourist dollars, you know. Go and spend money. Put your money where your mouth is and let these organizations know that you support what they're doing and support them financially. And so this was a really a perfect way to do that. You know, who doesn't want to go out and see a, you know, a, a pack of elephants? And it's, mm-hmm. it's just a really, it's, it's the perfect combination. Indeed. And, you know, of course, that's one of our favorite places in the world. Uh, we, we honeymoon in South Africa, so we oh. have a special affinity <laughs> with the country and the animals and, uh, you know, just, uh, just the culture. Um, yeah, I, lo- I was there in uh, 2000 uh, as a tourist as well, and it was like no other vacation I've ever had. You really feel like you're in the middle of the food chain, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I work in Latin America where, you know, you really have to search for the animals and they're camouflaged and they're hard to find and they're small and they're in trees. And when you're in Africa, there's huge animals standing right in front of you. It's just a completely different feeling. I love it. Toby, uh, as uh, you've uh, elaborated on the Humane Travels program, in terms of the level of participation perhaps on a, on a, on a typical excursion or, or trip, how many people are you looking to take in order to kind of maintain the balance between being able to give them that up-close, first-hand experience without it getting too, too large and too overwhelming uh, that could uh, potentially impair the educational opportunity for, for those who want to participate? Right. Well, that's a good question. We actually are limiting all of our trips to 16 passengers. Um, just for that very reason. You know, we really want it to be a small group experience. It's more um, intimate that way, and you really get to ask the questions that you want to ask, and you get to do what you need to do on a vacation in order for it to be fulfilling to you. So in keeping with, you know, most ecotourism programs do keep it pretty small, and we are going to limit this one to 16 passengers per trip. And for those who are listening how can they get involved with the conservation efforts and find out about the Humane Travels program? Well, we have a ton of information on our website, which is www.hsi.org. And if you want to find out specifically about our ecotourism programs, just do hsi.org backslash ecotourism. Um, but there are, you know, tons of ways to get involved. You can make a donation online. You can sign a petition. We have action alerts. We have different mailing lists that you can sign up to be a part of. Um, You know, and and it doesn't just stop with HSI. There are so many different ways to get involved. There are international volunteer programs. Um, Sea turtle hatcheries are always looking for volunteers to patrol the beaches and relocate sea turtle eggs to safer places. You know, there's, there's a million different ways to get involved, but I would say the best place to start is looking at our website. 
Toby Bloom, the Executive Director of Wildlife Ecotourism for Humane Society International, we thank you for being with us today on World Footprints. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. After the break, Barbara Singer, the author of Living Without Reservations, joins us to talk about transformations through travel. Next as World Footprints Radio continues. Hello, this is Mertice Spadola from Gallery Mertice in Baltimore, Maryland, and I love World Footprint Radio. Happy holidays, everybody. This is Dave Koz for RAD, recording artists, actors, and athletes against drunk driving. When you're traveling during the holidays and see someone who's had too much to drink about to get behind the wheel of their car, get the car keys. Your friends will thank you for it because friends don't let friends drive drunk. A public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. Destination Imagination is an extraordinary after-school program in creativity and teamwork for every child. In fact, Destination Imagination could be the most important journey your kid makes this year or any year. Parents and teachers, start a Destination Imagination team by calling 888-321-1503 or visit DestinationImagination.org. That's DestinationImagination.org. For the latest and last-minute travel deals, visit the WorldFootprints.com travel portal to find exclusive non-published sales on travel. Our dynamic travel deals page updates daily with the latest sales from our partners. You can't find these deals anywhere else, and we've seen sales for $9 per night for hotels and $49 airline tickets. So stop by WorldFootprints.com to see where you can go for less. Also, make sure you visit the Travel Marketplace for sales on travel essentials and services. Would it be crazy if you packed your bags and left for a week, a month, a year? What if you left for two years? What if you were going far away to help in a village on the edge of the Gobi Desert? To spend time with people the rest of the world only reads about? To teach children and learn a thing or two about yourself? Would that be crazy? Peace Corps. Life is calling. How far will you go? To find out more, call 1-800-424-8580 or visit peacecorps.gov. Hi, this is Christina Ricci with RAIN. One in six women and one in 33 men will become a victim of sexual assault in their lifetime. Join RAIN today in the fight against sexual violence and volunteer in your community. Log on to RAIN.org. That's R-A-I-N-N dot O-R-G to learn how you can help provide support to those who need it most. This message brought to you by the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network and this station. Hi, I'm Johannes from Pretoria, Gauteng in South Africa. I love listening to you and I want you to support Ian Antonia at World Footprint Radio. It is exciting. And now, more of World Footprints Radio with your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back. Can you imagine an adventure where the secret meets eat, play, love? Well, author Barbara Singer was probably surprised that some life-changing and challenging events would send her on a journey of self-discovery and into a life without reservations. She joins us today to talk about her new book, Living Without Reservations, and I'm very happy to welcome her to World Footprints. Welcome, Barbara. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 
your your book is so I mean it's a wonderful wonderful book I enjoyed uh, reading it and um, oh my gosh there there were times when my heart couldn't stop beating so and, and I couldn't read fast enough uh, but tell us what is real what is a life without reservations well it, it is flying by the seat of your pants but it's moving throughout the world without a plan in my old life as I call it I was living the American dream married in Orlando big house successful career child in private school but enough was never enough, and the treadmill just kept getting faster and faster. And the more I accum- accumulated in wealth and stuff, the more I didn't want it. So I wanted freedom, time, and adventure. And so moving around the world without a plan, because my old life was so planned out and structured, and so now I, I can go around the world and do what I want. Mm. You know, and, and, and you have, and, and that's a, um, it takes a lot of, of courage to do that. But, you know, you actually <clears throat> quit your life, as, as, you, as you say, and, and, and became um, a world traveler, a vagabond, as you call yourself. Um, but there was, um, there, there was one uh, chapter that I was reading, and honestly, you know, again, that, that was Oh, probably the one place where I said my heart just kept beating and I couldn't read fast enough. And that was the, the chapter that took place uh, September 2004. Talk about the events that, that um, and I'm assuming those were the events really that, that uh, spearheaded you into this new life. Um, talk about that period of your life and, and, and what happened and what made you decide to just walk away from it all. Well, I always knew I wanted a different lifestyle, but I thought that I should wait until my only child goes away to college and then make the changes. Instead, I met Tom, an older man, and he had time and energy to play, and I fell head over heels in love. I went from the one doing all the giving, managing the house, and taking care of everyone to the one who was showered with adoration and attention. And um, it was a total shock to everyone who knew me. It was so out of character for me. But the plan was when Brittany went away to school, my daughter, college, sleepaway school, that I would, that Tom and I would be together. And he died very suddenly of a heart attack. I was devastated. It was mm. the first time in my life that I was alone. That, uh, and this all happened just in, in like a month or two period of time. So it was very sudden. Um, destroyed. I didn't know what to do. So I called my dad mm-hmm. and I asked him if I can borrow the camper and go out west. I just wanted to go on a road trip by myself, be in nature, and just kind of regroup and figure out what to do with the second half of my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Barbara, your book is much more than a step-by-step instruction guide of how to travel full-time. It's really a, a story about strength, courage, and discovery. Talk to us about that. I certainly tried to incorporate as much of the affirmations that I believe in. I Throughout the whole journey, every step of the way, I truly believed that I was in the right place at the right time and that all good things were coming to me and that I'm a child of the universe and abundance is my birthright. And so looking for the good and really not even seeing the bad, it wasn't all butterflies and sunshine, but even if you can't throw your, your life away and run away as I did, um, you certainly can embrace change, and change is scary, and it will push you to the edge of your comfort zone, but the reward is so worth it. But you can ask yourself, and be really honest, in a silent moment, what do I love? What are my dreams? Mm-hmm. Um, if I could do anything, what would it be? 
what brings me joy? Who am I, and who do I want to become? And you will quickly put a little package together, as I did. For me, it was travel, freedom, adventure. But for someone else, it may be, you know, starting a different kind of business or helping people. It, everyone has a different dream. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's funny, you know, those, those same questions are what Ian presented to me when we were struggling um, as very uh, unhappy attorneys and um, wanting to... <laughs> Wanting to find, you know, something else, but uh, those were those were pretty much the exact questions that a life coach who we happened to meet on whilst on travel um, told him to ask me, and and here we are, <laughs> traveling with you. <laughs> now, where where did you go? I mean, you, you said you borrowed a camper from your dad, and and, and you left uh, Florida. Where did you go? Where are some of the places you've been? Well, he wasn't going to give me the camper and have me drive off into the sunset. And he (laughs) said, if my camper's going, I'm going to be in it. And by the way, would you go with me to Alaska, which was his lifelong dream. Mm. So my dad and I together, the two of us, drove from Pennsylvania to Alaska and back for six weeks. And it was the most awesome, eye-opening experience, mostly because of the people we met. I I didn't realize what a small little box I was living in, but there are vagabond people all over the U.S. and campsites, and when we got to Canada, Skagway, Alaska, so it really opened my eyes. And when I came back to Orlando, I came back to my job for one day, and I said, I can never do this again. So once I was out, I couldn't go back in. Um, And then I liquidated my house and drove with two suitcases and a computer to South Florida, and my big goal in life was to work at a tiki bar on the beach. <laughs> so, I didn't make it to a tiki bar, but I did end up at a marina bar, and there I met Captain Pete, who was living in the harbor on his 42-foot hunter sailboat, and he was a regular, and one night, off the cuff, I said, didn't you ever dream of going island hopping in the Caribbean? And he said, yes, but my boat is too big for me to handle by myself, and who am I going to get to commit for three or four months? Well, my hand went up. I didn't really know Captain Pete, and I never sailed a day in my life, but it sure sounded like a fun time. <laughs> and you went. You you went. And I went. <laughs> and Pete was a wonderful captain and a perfect gentleman, and um, we sailed from uh, Florida to St. Bart's, 100 days in one direction. Mm, my gosh. Now, y- you know, you, you do offer um, a roadmap in your book, for making that uh, personal transformation, you know, for for the um, uh, for the for the person who is uh, desiring or dreams of of being a world traveler and traveling for free, traveling, living a life without reservations, what are some of the the first steps um, they should take before making the decision to reinvent themselves on the road? The first thing is to get ready mentally. Your attitude is far more important than your checkbook balance. So ask yourself these questions. Would I rather have a plane ticket or a mortgage? Would I rather have freedom or a paycheck, a backpack or a walk-in closet, a passport filled with stamps or a bank account filled with money? Would I rather live my dream or watch it on reality TV? Hmm. Hmm. So once you get your head on and you cannot, you have to be total vision, tunnel vision, you cannot have one foot in two different canoes. Mm-hmm. So um, you have to get, it, get your head on straight, but stop doing everything that doesn't bring you joy. Quit all organizations, turn off the TV, open the windows, put your favorite music on, um, and get 
get your head on straight because you are going to be forging a different path, and a lot of people are going to think you're crazy like they did me. (laughs) um, Second is liquidate your home. So uh, rent it to someone else, and you are going to be renting a room from a local somewhere in the world, So, and maybe several times a year. I think it's easier to do it outside of your own community. It's very hard to make all these changes and stay amongst your friends. So if your dream is to live in San Francisco or Key West or somewhere in the U.S., or just go ahead and forge and go to your first country spot, but get rid of your house and then downsize your car, um, buy something for $5,000 or so outright, put liability only on it, and then um, that's one little payment of like $50 a month. But most of the time you won't be using your car because you're going to be out of the country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then stop all reoccurring monthly charges. If you don't spend it, you don't have to earn it. <laughs> Love that <laughs> saying. <laughs> then, um, get mobile. So get a laptop and learn to get everything you need on the Internet. Stop all paper mail. Get healthy. You're going to be buying a catastrophic health insurance policy. Mine has a $5,000 deductible, so if something bad happens, I'm covered, but the little stuff along the way. I'm healthy. I'm 48 years old. I take no medication, and I don't smoke, and mine costs $202 a month, so pretty reasonable. Um, And then what do you do about security and responsibility? I personally think security is a myth. It doesn't exist. No matter how great you plan, someone can die, you can get a divorce, you can be in a car accident. My theory is live joyfully today rather than spending energy and money on days that may never come. Same kind of thing with retirement. It's a moving target. How old will I be? How will my health be? How will my finances be? Will I even make it? So worry about those days. You'll handle whatever comes up when it actually comes up. And you, you say that once you make the decision to, to move or move in this direction, the, um, your view of the world really changes. What do you mean by this? Um, you have to, you, I always said after that, I am moving. I am mobile and light. I need nothing. Everything is negotiable. I choose to spend my time differently. I choose to spend my money differently, and I choose to live my life differently. Once you get out of the machinery of the American lifestyle, it takes very little money to move around the world. Hmm. Now, Barbara, particularly with the economy being what it is, I'm sure many people are being introspective and reflective about uh, the lives that they've been leading with all of the handcuffs that uh, our material existence in this country uh, often place on us. What do you really think is, is uh, the key to kind of making this, this change happen? Sometimes it's, it's forced upon us by life's circumstances, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in order to say, I'm not going to worry about the uh, bank account, that really requires a lot of courage to do that. What would you say that one must do in order to kind of muster up that courage to say, I am going to do this? For me, the uh, travel and adventure and the experiences and the people I met, 99% of the world is filled with wonderful, awesome, extraordinary people and very open and willing to show you what their life is about. So once you're out there, you're not inventing the wheel. There are expats from every country living in every other country, and I realized that people were already doing it, and they were successful at it, and that it was very possible. 
but to move around the world and to see places. And because you're living with a local, I'm cooking in a little Italian kitchen, and I'm learning how to make coffee in a little silver tank on top of the stove, and I'm learning to hang my clothes out to dry. And um, But the lifestyle is so simple. We do not have a corner on the universe. And mm-hmm. I know as Americans we really think we do. But there is a wonderful quality of life out there without the stress and the trappings. We, we never get to the good stuff, feels like to me, um, that we're always rushing, we're always on the phone, we're waiting in traffic, we have to do this, we have to do that. But the joy and the freedom of not maintaining this other kind of lifestyle uh, is, is so fabulous and so fascinating. It's worth it. Absolutely. Now, Barbara, you've, uh, you spend your time between Florida and... Um, in Italy and uh, Tuscany, why why Tuscany? Why are you settled there? Do you own a vineyard there, I believe, don't you? Yes, yes. Oh. Um, after <laughs> how did that happen? Yeah, yeah well, and, um, and, and I wanted to tell Ian you invited us to to visit you, and you know that there's no arm twisting needed here. <laughs> <laughs> well, after I got off the boat, um, I was actually paid crew. And when you live on a sailboat and you are the first mate or you, you are actually paid, and that is, there are many opportunities in the book, but it's called uh, crewfinder.com. It's like a matchmaking service for boats. Mm-hmm. The captains who are looking. Anyway, so I got off the boat with a little pocket money, and I said, okay, just me. Where in the world, if I could choose anywhere, would I live? And it was Florence. So I rented a room from a lady on the Internet, wired her some money, showed up two weeks later. She did speak English, although I did not speak Italian, and I didn't know anyone. Ten days later, I went as a tourist to a little winery in Chianti and met Giuseppe, a handsome winemaker, and (laughs) never left. Uh, But I shouldn't say never left, but we come back to the States in the winter because I'm not independently wealthy and I have to work. Mm. So when I come back, I want to go to a high-season resort area where everybody's hiring, get a tipped job, parking cars, waiting tables. One year I was the hotel nanny in Aspen, and I made crazy money, (laughs) back to cash, and then leave. But even when you're working, you're somewhere where you want to be because you've chosen to move there. You really do live a life without reservations, and I and I love it. I love your stories, and I, I'm so thankful that uh, that you were able to join us today on World Footprints and, and share your inspirations with uh, with our listening audience. Just go. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> As Nike says, "Yet yeah, just do it." Right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, Barbara, thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed our show today, and as always, we look forward to spending quality travel time with you, and certainly in real time through our social networks, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and others. So join us on those networks and sign up for our newsletter at worldfootprints.com. We're Tanya Nian Fitzpatrick, and we'll see you on the air again next week, same time, same frequency. And until then, we wish you blue skies and purposeful travel that leaves positive footprints one step at a time. Hi, guys. My name is Sandy Best, the Sandy Best from Lake Louise. Where's Lake Louise? It's in Alberta. Alberta's in Canada, Banff National Park, natural beauty. The only place you should go with is World Footprints Radio because they spend their time looking at those special places that are not tourist traps, that are not thousands of people. For the best on the planet, go with World Footprints Radio. World Footprints Radio is a presentation of Travel and On Media Productions, LLC. All rights reserved. 
This is Reba McIntyre for Rad. You know, I see a lot of funny things traveling all over this beautiful country of ours, but one thing that's not very funny is when someone gets in a car trying to drive when they're drunk. Take their keys away from them, because friends don't let friends drive drunk. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, Rad, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. Every two minutes. Another woman, man, or child is sexually assaulted. The effects can be devastating. Volunteer for RAIN and make a difference. A few minutes of your time can help someone take back years of their life. This is Christina Ricci for RAIN. Join me today, and together we can make a difference. Visit RAIN.org, that's R-A-I-N-N dot org, to find local volunteer opportunities in your area and help give the gift of hope. What if you were wearing something sexy? What if you were drinking? What if you made the first move? No matter what, sexual assault is never your fault. Support is available 24-7 through the National Sexual Assault Hotline. Call 1-800-656-HOPE or visit RAIN.org. That's R-A-I-N-N dot O-R-G. This is Christina Ricci with RAIN, reminding you it's never your fault. 